Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew thirteen forty four through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome to the Painted Door. I'm not the usual uh, guy up here. I'm sorry, I'm not nearly as eloquent as uh, as Mark is, who's out of town. But um, I'm much more attractive. So enjoy it while you can. Uh, we have been working through a series on uh, on the parables. And I'm continuing in that today. And the, the parables that we have in front of us are the ones you just heard. The, the parable of the hidden treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great value. And um, let's start off just by reading those again. Um, in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So these parables are pretty straightforward. Uh, the, um, in terms of being short and easy to capture in like a short thought. Uh, you might even like read past them if you didn't slow down. Um, the, uh, the first one, there's a man shopping for real estate. You can imagine him looking at a property with farm on it, looking around, checking out all the barns and everything, and he opens one, and he has one of those Pulp Fiction moments where the doors open and there's just this, like glow on his face. You can't see what it is, but it's good. And so he throws some boards on it, puts some bushes in front of it, makes sure that nobody else can find this, this gem. And he goes away and sells everything he has to buy that field. The other one, we've got a, a merchant who evidently knows a lot about pearls. He's a pearl dealer, and he's, uh, he's looking for great pearls and he finds one. In fact, it's so amazing. It's worth everything to him. He goes home, sells everything, buys the pearl. So, reading these and just slowly stopping to think about it, my first reaction, and, and maybe some of you are with me if you've been churchgoers, uh, my first reaction is to kind of feel this anxious cloud of guilt. I feel guilty. Maybe I, I, I know that this is how we're supposed to interact with the kingdom of heaven. But, but, our, lives, but our lives, my life, doesn't actually reflect this man's captivation with the kingdom of heaven. And so right 
right behind that impulse, there's a second impulse, which is to resolve to do better. And if you're like me, our way of doing better focuses totally on the, the buyer's activity, the things that he's, that he's doing. The idea of selling everything you own, it, it speaks to this idea of being generous and, uh, and giving up things for the good of others. And those are, those are virtues that are extolled in the church. They're rightly elevated. Or another thing that I want to emulate in this man who's going and selling everything is the zeal that he has for the kingdom of heaven. He's like putting everything into it. And I know that I should be doing that too. And so I'm, I'm left in this spot of like actually trying to stir up zeal. How do, you, how do you imitate zeal? Like, all you can do is fall back on the activity that zeal produces. But you can't actually grow that on your own. So, but, I want to point out two things from these parables. Uh, against against this idea, against this impulse that I have. And the first one is that neither of these buyers are coming up short. I mean, they see something of incredible value and they're facing a very expensive purchase, but they go home, they sell everything, and there's enough. Right? This is not a neither of them are, are, are getting um, they're going home to sell everything and then they get distracted and then they you know start washing their dog or playing video games they go they sell everything and that's enough to buy to acquire this treasure of extreme value um, and I think the significance of that is that, that these parables are not a warning they're not a warning that you have to have enough in the first place or do enough or give up enough in order to get the treasure. And the other thing that stands out about, about these parables is that the treasure hidden in the field and the, the, the pearl, they're not going anywhere. They're just there. They have a concrete, real value. And that value is real even before the purchase is made. It's not a potential. The buyers, these buyers are not being rewarded for the sacrifices they're making for the treasure. They are making sacrifices for the treasure. 
But the treasure is not there as a reward for those sacrifices. So I think this is, it's just really important to zoom in on this because the kingdom of heaven, that's what these treasures and the pearl are, are representing here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven does not demand a sacrifice from us. Now, other kingdoms do demand sacrifices. The United States demands sacrifices of our money in the form of taxes. And if we, we might not be very well rewarded for that, but there certainly are bad consequences that we get out of by keeping up with them. Even in the old kingdom of Israel, the people of Israel came to see their sacrifices as being demanded by God. They did ritual sacrifice as a part of the, the law handed down by Moses. They saw those, they came to see those sacrifices as, as required by God for his blessing. Even though God said through David, I, I don't desire your sacrifices. I want a contrite heart. Even though he said through Asaph, you think these sacrifices are because I'm hungry? They're already mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. Off, make an offering of thanksgiving. Even though Hosea said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The people of Israel still imported this idea of getting a payoff into, into their sacrifices. And the idols of the time certainly explicitly had that idea. You're appeasing the wrath of various gods to get the blessings of agriculture or, or fortune or whatever, what have you. And that is true of the idols of our day as well. The things that we worship require sacrifices of us. And that shows in our bank account or it shows in our capital that we have with our families. So, The reason for all this is that we have a fundamental core assumption that in order to get something, I need to give something. Or that the reason to give something is to get something in return. Not so the kingdom of heaven. The sacrifices of the people of God acquire nothing. They don't have the power to get God's blessing. And another thing about sacrificing is that we have uh, a really uncanny ability to choose the blemished sheep. Right? 
We don't give the best of what we have when we're required to sacrifice in order to get something in return. We pick actually the worst things that we have. But the buyers of the, in these parables, they're selling everything. And why? Because they've found something they're convinced is of such great value that everything else in their life pales in comparison. No cost is too high. Even at the cost of everything, they feel they're getting a bargain. Paul talked this way uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. He said, if, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's not, he's not making a list of his sins of his undesirable characteristics, although maybe he came, to see, he came, he did come to see them as undesirable. He's listing off his resume, the best things about himself, the best things that he had to brag about. Those are what became rubbish in comparison to having Christ What would it look like for us to sell off what's respectable about ourselves? Instead of always trying to scuttle the most repugnant parts of ourselves, what if we, instead of, instead of trying to give up lust, we gave up our privacy? Or what if instead of wanting to give up and get rid of our depression, instead we gave up our stoic reserve? What if instead of our of giving up our anger? feeling like that was something that needed to be sacrificed on the altar. We sacrificed our control.
What if we gave up on our right to be treated with courtesy and respect? Uh, Some of you, I don't know, you might be thinking he's, you know, advocating just like living a life of sabotage. And and I I don't want you to go out of here with that message. But the point is, all of our safest sanctuaries and life-giving oases pale in comparison to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, sometimes they stand in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. They get in the way of us enjoying the kingdom of heaven. So we're seeing these buyers respond in this joyful, all-out sacrifice for something they know is of immense value. And so there's this third, there's this third response that that leads us to, I think, and that's the, the response of longing for the same thing. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like freedom, and I need some of that. I want to know what this treasure is. Or maybe you knew at one point, but you have forgotten or you started to reacquire some of that other property and lost track of it. So let's just agree to stop trying to look like treasure hunters and just hunt for treasure. So what? So just what is this? So just what is this treasure? Um, the first thing, as a caveat here, is to notice is that in both of these parables, it's hidden. It's something that's hidden. In the field, it's actually like obstructed from view. Uh, the pearl um, is maybe not so obvious, but. A pearl is very small. Pearls are tiny. You'd be, you'd be like, uh, honey, did you see where I put that pearl? In both cases, they're easy, these treasures are easily overlooked. But it's more than just that, that they're like hard to see the kingdom of heaven is also incompatible with our way of looking at the world. We're so committed to that give something to get something idea. It rules everything in our waking in our waking life. It's just that give something to get something is just, a ref, is just a, another manifestation of direct, straight-line doing. You have a goal. You plan out the steps to get there. 
and you implement them. Everything we do every day is governed by that, by that process, from brushing our teeth to taking a shower to figuring out how to be funny so people will like us. to trying to figure out how to get a leg up on the other person. That's how we solve problems. I mean, our brains are just made for it. We, we are by nature swimming in that water of problem solving and getting from A to B. Giving something to get something is something that works. That works. As far as it goes. But it's because the kingdom of heaven is incompatible with that. We can sometimes have it be right in front of us and we'll just reinterpret what we're seeing to fit what we understand. And so it can not just be hidden in the sense of like it, it's inaccessible to us, but it's also hidden. It's a mystery in that we can't get our heads around it. It's so alien to our way of life. So that makes, that makes it kind of a slippery task to just concisely tell you what the mystery of the kingdom of heaven is. But I'm going to try to do it anyway. Here goes. The mystery of heaven, a, couple, a few weeks ago I was... I was preaching to the kids and my try at it was God loves us and that's a way that's a way of communicating the mystery of the kingdom of heaven God loves us today I want to try a different one it's the reconciliation it's our reconciliation to God in Christ the kingdom of heaven is the reality that we have been fully reconciled to God in Christ. If we thought that we were at odds with God, if we thought we were relationally separated from God, think again. He fixed it. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13 and through 15 says, what does it say? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it, to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. I mean, that speaks for itself. That keeping the record of debt, that's our way. 
that's what we're so married to. That's the consequence of of A to B thinking as it plays out in relationships. That's where that's where A to B planning just doesn't actually get you very far. <laughs> in love. I mean, consider a father with a teenage son. And the teenage son is making stupid decisions. And the father comes in and is committed to fixing it. And so he starts implementing some consequences. Only the son is stubborn. And so the consequences don't work. And so because of his commitment to solving the problem, the father just escalates. That's his only option. He can only try harder. He can only try to make it happen. But escalation, you can see where that leads. It's going to destroy the relationship. Unless the father gives up on that agenda. And just receives and welcomes the injustice. That just, I mean... If there are any fathers in here in that situation, you could probably testify to the angst of being put there, of having your plans and your son's plans not mix, and the impossibility of giving up, of being willing to be trampled on and taken advantage of. But that's the good news of our reconciliation to God and Christ. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is that God does not treat us as we deserve. Just like the prodigal son, we're received with joy. There's no sword hanging over our head. There's no threat of imminent destruction. There's just reconciliation with our father. Now, the craziest thing about this treasure that is so worth giving everything up for is that it's free. 
you guys are like, what? Yeah. It's free by its nature. It's free. It is the accomplished work of Jesus to reconcile us to God. There's no amount of selling of anything that makes that ours. It's sitting there for the taking. The sacrifices we make do not earn that treasure. It's been earned. Now this is, I think, more clear. Um, This is more clear in the... um, parable of the field because that treasure's hidden and what is what is the buyer paying for he's paying for the land he's not paying for the treasure he's not paying for the treasure but i do think there's a similar thing going on with the parable of the pearl because he's a pearl merchant he is the one that knows and can recognize the value of something. And so that treasure, the great value of that pearl is evident to him when it may not be to anybody else. He's, he's buying, he's selling everything to purchase something at much less than it's worth. So the treasure itself costs nothing, only enjoying the treasure costs. Hmm. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus goes before us as the buyer in this parable, even though he's the one telling this parable. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning the shame of it. And is seated at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him. Was the reality of Jesus' reconciliation with the Father at risk? No. But with tears and sweating blood, he submitted to death on a cross and apparent abandonment. Selling everything, every comfort, every reassurance, every oasis 
to entrust himself to the living God to the reality that was already his for the sake of joy. And he proved that faith in his resurrection. I think this um, this mystery of why would you pay something for what's free was captured by by David in Psalm sixty three uh, one through four it says O oh God. You are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name will I lift up my hands. The love of God is better than life. As we read in Corinthians, we've gone to the cross with him and we are raised with him. Let's sing with David after we pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, um, we pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, those of us who have not known this treasure or who have forgotten it and left it in the dust. We pray that you would renew our knowledge of of your amazing love for us in Christ. Thank Thank you that this gift is free. We pray for the faith to see it and to and the the bravery, the courage to enjoy it. In Jesus' name, amen.